And maybe, maybe our orientation is, what's important? What does God say is important? Maybe because he created us. Maybe because we know he loves us. He would have the best idea. And so what we wanted to do this, um, the beginning of this uh, new year, is start out with, in fact, it's based on a story. Uh, in the Bible, we see a group of religious people approach Jesus and ask him a bunch of questions, but it was one particular scribe. It's in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 34. And, and the scribe comes and asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? In other words, what's the most important thing to obey? Jesus, tell me what's the most important thing to obey. And what Jesus responded, he said, you actually kind of know it. Jesus responds, you actually know all the commandments, but they can summed up into two things. What There is only one God, but you need to love this God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. It's really simple. Love God and love people. That's what's important. Well, it's interesting. That, that's Jesus' response. The scribe says to Jesus, The scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there's no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as yourself. And watch what he says. The scribe says, is much more than a whole burnt offering and all sacrifice. Yeah, of all the things we could do, loving God, loving people. Now, I wonder because... What's the motivation of this scribe asking this question to Jesus? Teacher, tell me the priority in life. Tell me what's important. Why was he asking this question? Was, it, was he asking the question because he wanted to know so he could prioritize? He actually wanted to know because he said, please help me so I can make this really about what is important. Or do you think maybe he was doing it just because he wanted to see if, Jesus, if him and Jesus had the same answer? I just, I just want to know if I have the right answer. Now, there's an interesting thought process with that. Because one is a little different. One is approaching it like, hmm, I, I have the answer, but I'm not going to let that really change me. Versus another thought that says, i actually going to want to find out so you can, this can impact my life. There's two different approaches, and there's a huge big difference between knowing the answer and wanting the answer to shape your life. And Jesus responded to this man, you're not far off from the kingdom. You're not far off because many people don't even ask that question, what's really important? In fact, they might say that, but their orientation is, what's important is actually anything about me, myself, and I. Or what's important to me is what brings pleasure to me. Or what's important to me is what's, what I directly impacts me, my family and that. And Jesus says to the scribe, you're not far off because actually what's important is God and others. However, depending on how you're asking that question, is whether you fully get it. Because you know what? It's coming to, what the scribe didn't realize is who he was coming and asking the question to. He was asking the one that actually knew the right answer, but what is the answer? He is the one that would show us what's important. He lived it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But I wonder if the scribe knew that. I wonder if he understood when he was having this conversation. So when we look at this new year, this is the series that we want to go into. We're we're talking about a whole time for the next month or two will be what's important. Let's just orient our life about loving God, loving people. We're going to be talking about it. It's going to be simple. How many of you know that's what's important? Everybody knows, but it's not just about knowing. It's about, God, how does this affect me? How does this become my life? Just like you are my life. And so 
unlike the scribe, we're going to approach this a little different. We don't want to approach Jesus in a way that's what I will call it a religious manner. A religion says to you, I'm going to give you information. I'm going to give you some knowledge. I'm going to give you truth. But what does that truth do for you? You see, a religious man is asking Jesus, but maybe he's not realizing Jesus does his first miracle that changes everything. Let me explain. Because this, this is how we find out what's important. There's a big difference between religion and relationship, or relationship and religion. Did you know that? Well, open your Bibles to uh, first, or sorry, John chapter 2, and I'm going to explain this. Because it's, it's an interesting story that we're going to talk about that, if you think about, has radical implica- implications for you and I. Because relationship, not religion, will determine what's important. So, John chapter 2, verse 1. You can follow along on the screen. If you have your Bibles, please, or your device, read it. It's so neat. Often when I'm preaching, I love it when people, I see people doing this and not looking up because they're actually reading the text, and I think God can speak to you. Now, if you want to read with me, go for it. That's fine. That's good. But on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the, water, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. I want you to catch that. There was something that happened at this wedding that radically changed his disciples. After this, he went to Capernaum and with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Now, following, though, I don't want to miss this because we can, oh, that's a story. No, continuing on, the Passover of the Jews, which is what we just took, we took the Lord's Supper as he changed into that, was at hand, and Jesus went up to, the, went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the, of the money changers and overturned the tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Whoa, what a weird story. Now, wonder why, why is John telling us this particular story? Did you know John is the only one? The other gospels don't mention this. But it is the place where Jesus does his first miracle. And it's actually when suddenly the disciples make a decision that they're making a following for him. So this is a crazy significance. There's something that was happening at this, these two events. Now, this cleansing of the temple. Again, because we don't know that. Jesus actually cleansed the temple twice. And this was the first time he did it. Well, you see, John wants to establish who Jesus is and his mission. He always wants us to go of who, he wants the readers to understand that. So when he starts in John chapter 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He's unpacking. It's like that song we were just singing today, you have no rival, you know, all creation. And it's kind of a, that same song was being unpacked in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was God. He came here. And in fact, he is light, the light of men. That's John trying to explain who Jesus is. In fact, he lived among us. He was flesh and blood. 
lived with us. And I love this idea that then we unpack this crazy thought. What does the first thing that Jesus do? He changes water to wine and he flips, flips over the temple. And in fact, they were reminded that the zeal of the Lord would be this, that God would be so desiring to clean out the temple. Interesting thought. Did you know Paul said, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit? We. God now resides in us. Imagine the zeal that the Lord wants to do in actually sometimes cleaning you and I out. He's like, I so want to get rid of these things. I don't want you to be a house of trade. I want you to be a house for the Father. And he's passionate about that. Very zealous about that. This is his first ministry. The very first thing that he does. To understand, you have to see that John's gospel is different than all the others. He records only 21 days of Jesus' life and of the 33 and a half years. There's only 21 days, but yet Jesus' ministry was three and a half years. So John is really focusing on certain spots. He's really, really not, he's picking and choosing here. In fact, um, 10 of his chapters are dedicated to only one week. And 237 verses from the 879 are in the one day of Jesus in this book. In, in fact, he, does not, he even says, I am not recording all the miracles. In John chapter 20, verse 30, he says, there are so many things that he did in front of the disciples, but I'm not telling you all of them. That's not my purpose. I have a specific reason why I'm saying things. Who is Jesus and what's his purpose or mission. In fact, this idea of the word miracle, even in the, John, in the Gospel of John, the Greek word is semea, meaning sign. A sign. I loved, Lucy, thank you so much for sharing that. God has a sign for us. I was like, she's reading my notes. Oh, great. Thank you, Lord. God wants to, he's more important about giving you a sign today so that you will get an understanding of who he is and what he's about. That's what John was saying. All the mir- these miracles are signs, which is different than the book of Mark. Mark, all the miracles were actually to display God's authority or his power, to prove who he is. And I, in other words, this changing water to wine... It wasn't to blow away the guests or to dis- demonstrate his authority. He's coming to show who he came to do, what he came to do, and his mission to help those in need and to change religious water into amazing wine. Hear me. To change religious water into amazing wine. John is using this miracle to point to a sign that Jesus has a, such a deep meaning of who and what he wants to do. So let me ask you this. What kind of relationship does God want to have with you and I? Think about it. Now, there are so many ways to describe God's relationship with us. He is, he's our maker. He's our father. He's our judge. He's our master. He's your Lord. He's our redeemer. He's our savior. He is many, many things. He always teaching us new ways that he wants to relate with us. But there's one really, really shocking one. There's one that absolutely, when I grabbed and get my whole, uh, my, my mind around this, and I kind of, I use this term when I was in youth ministry all the time. It bakes my noodle. This idea of one relationship that God would want to have with us, and this relationship is, he wants to be a friend. You want to be a friend. This just I understand that because even as a father, did you know that a father actually desires to have a relationship with their kids so their kids actually like them and actually want to be with them? 
Did you know that a father in their heart doesn't just want their kids going, hey, dad, can I have some money? Hey, dad, can I have this? Hey, dad, where's the, this and that? They, they don't want that. They actually like it when, the, when that son comes up and says, hey, I want to be with you today. That is like, you want to make a dad's day, father's day? Just, hey, dad, I want to go do something with you. That's what they're longing. They're even longing for their kids to be their friend. Amen? How many fathers? Does that agree? Those that never experienced that, I get the father's heart when it's not just about me being a dad, but actually having relationship with them. Hey, dad, what do you think? What do you feel about this? James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. And so Jesus' full ministry really is about bringing us back into relationship, the relationship that we had in the garden. There is no religion, no rituals. There, these, and, and I just want to clarify that because when I say religion, I'm not saying they're bad. But did you know that religion can become a replacement? See, in the beginning, it was simply, it was just friendship. Adam and Eve delighted in God and he delighted in them. Unfortunately, sin breaks that relationship. That's the problem. Sin has a consequence, and the greatest consequence is now we have broken relationship with God. And this is the whole story of of the gospel. The whole reason and mission for Jesus to bring us back in relationship. Because what I find interesting is, In the very book of Revelation, the very end, there's a church called Ephesus. And church of Ephesus, Jesus, is. it says the Spirit, he's walking along the candlesticks. He goes into this church and he says, there's one thing I hold against you. You've lost your first love. And I want you to come back. And then he makes this offer to me. He says, if you would just, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'd open the door, I'll come in and sup with you. I'll actually commune with you. I'll do what we just did here. I want to do that with you. But he's begging the church. He's not, well, not begging, but he's, he's saying, church, Ephesus, you've lost the thing, the love, the first love. Repent. Now, why this is significant is because in the Old Testament, did you know there were very few that were called to be friends of God? If you actually read the scriptures, out of all of history, there's actually very few that had this moniker, friend of God. What the Israel knew of God was mostly based on fear and or of consequences. And they were built on these, this sort of, well, I know that if, because imagine this, for Israel, their concept of relationship was Once a year, one person went into a place called the Holy of Holies. They were allowed to go into the presence of God. They would actually enter into who he is, his his manifest holiness. And you know what the crazy thing? They would would tie a rope around the guy's ankle. Because if he would clean himself, and if he's not, if he still had sin, he's done. They would have to drag him out. Well, that's a great relationship, you know. I I know this God, but man, he really freaks me out. Imagine we living in the New Testament, the veil is torn. You have access to God every day. Again, the Jew, bake my noodle. What are you talking about? I don't get that. And yet we have that. To personally enter in to the holy of holies. John 15, verse 15 says, Jesus saying, he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. In the Greek, this isn't about a casual acquaintance. That word friend is actually more used towards the word of what you'd use for a, 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 a best man. You're going to be my best man. I want you to be right there when I make the most important decision in my life. I want you to be my wingman. Or the other part was this. The word could also be used for a counsel for the king. I want you to be there, part of my counsel when I'm making... Now, how many of you know the protocol for going to a king? 
man, I've never met a king, but I, I, I hear that you have to do some crazy stuff to actually approach a king or queen. You don't just walk up to them and say, hi, uh, Elizabeth, just, can I shake your hand? Hey, what's happening tonight? Want to go for dinner? Or better yet, the queen saying to you, I would like your, I would like your counsel. But this is what Jesus says to us. I don't want to call you a servant. I want to call you a friend. Wow. So, this is the challenge though. Israel, they went, they, they actually, though they had relationship with God, what they knew of, the sacrificial system, they actually left that and went to idols. But God then brought them back through some hardship. But the interesting is, instead of going back to God in relationship, they chose religion. It's easier to do religion than relationship. And that's where it gets a challenge. And when Jesus was approaching and talking about this, when, he, when, when the scribe was asking what's important, Jesus, you have to understand, Jesus was coming to not bring us religion, but a relationship. See, in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, it says, the Living Bible, like the translation, says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. That was, that was God's call to Israel. That was his heart. That was his desire. Now, guess who's the one who's going to bring them to that? It's Jesus. Jesus. Bringing us back into relationship. So this new year, I want to ask you, what is important? But again, how do we do it through relationship, not religion? And John chapter 2 actually gives us some thoughts of how this can happen. It's interesting to observe Mary's request because Mary is asking, says, hey, there's a wedding happening and something's going to go catastrophe here. Can you help? And Jesus' response is like, hey, it's not my time. This is not the right time. It's almost like this should not have happened. This miracle should never have happened. It's kind of what the feeling was, but then how did it happen? How did this request prayer? How did Mary's request get answered? Well, she does something which I think helps us in how we can discover what is important through relationship rather than religion. It's this. First, approaching from needing, not from earning. There's two thoughts to this that I will unpack. Approaching from, ne- from needing. Now, why is this? Let me explain to you. i got to give a little bit of context to this wedding ceremony stuff that's happening. See, in the Jewish uh, ceremony, a wedding actually lasted usually about a week. Sometimes it could be longer than that, but generally about a week. And so it would be from Tuesday, because that was usually the, what they said was the day when God really blessed mankind, and it would just continue on for a week, and, and it's, it's just go, go, go. So now the thing with this, which the communities were small and everybody knew each other. So imagine how, what a social catastrophe it would be if you ran out of provision for the guests. Everybody knew. Do you know how much shame there would be in this little town? Yeah, yeah we, we went to the Zazalak's wedding. <laughs> they, uh, they couldn't take care of us. Well, poor people. <laughs> the shame that actually came, in fact, what we understood is this, is that it was actually incredibly taboo if you ran out of stuff. It could even have legal ramifications. The bridegroom and his family could be financially liable if they had inadequate provision. If you, if you didn't do this, you would have incredible shame. Mary, well, Mary sees something. She sees a need. She sees actually where this wedding's going. It's not looking good. And so out of relationship, she's going to ask Jesus... This is the first thing I think that we need to understand. In order for us to get into relationship, you need to recognize needs. With God, we have to recognize a need. And guess who has the need? Do you know how important it is 
Mary does something that I think is crucial for us in, in entering a relationship is simply going, God, I want to see needs. I want to see the needs that are around me. I want to see the needs. If you want to grow in knowing what's important, loving God and loving people, you better get used to knowing what needs are around you. You get used to going, I have a, something. In fact, you better get used to understanding the needs that you have personally. Because understanding needs is, is a really good thing. It's often we engage in prayer. And even our prayer and fasting, why are we praying and fasting? I think it's because we have needs. I'm going to God because I actually need him. And I, I actually, prayer and fasting is that moment when we say, God, I actually want to carve some time for you. I need you. When, when we don't recognize our needs, we, we tend to, ah, I don't need to go, I'll give you an example. If I am a, think I'm an adequate swimmer, how, how often do you think I'm going to wear some sort of life vest on me? But if I think I'm a terrible swimmer or I'm getting old, I realize I need more help than ever now just to keep buoyant. Well, I may got some buoyancy, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you, you, you know you're, you need help. Well, I've got like the flippers, I've got like pontoons going out to the lake. I mean, I, I look like the Michelin man. Because I know that if I'm out there trying to tread water for three minutes, somebody's going to die. It's going to either be a kid that I grabbed to hold me up or, or myself. I don't know. One of the two. Dave, no, I'm joking. Dave, don't look at me like I, He's like, the pastor literally said, he, no, I'm just joking. Okay. Okay. So anyway, it's our challenge is that we are actually more prone to independence, and especially in our North American culture. We actually are not aware of our needs. Or maybe we get things mixed up. I like the founder of McDonald's, Ray Kroc. Uh, Ray, Ray, he was asked by a reporter what he believed in. And so this is what Ray said. Ray said, I believe in God, my family, and McDonald's. And then he said, but he added after this, when I get to the office, I reverse the order. Think about it. Suddenly, I believe in God, believe my family, and believe McDonald's. But when I get to the office, guess what comes first? McDonald's and maybe my family, and then God. He was actually being very funny, but true. I think that's, that's the tension you and I have. Is suddenly in just day-to-day life, I know I believe this, and I know it's important, but this becomes the, the flip of the orientation of our life. Am I preaching to myself, or do you, does, do you agree? Can you actually identify with Ray going, yeah, I think that's, if that's to the founder of McDonald's, I think that's probably what I tr- struggle with often too. But the result, I love this, is we, like Mary, we see the needs in others and even the needs in us. Maybe we're in confusion. Maybe we're overwhelmed. Maybe we're dealing with depression. Or you know people around you that's dealing with this. Maybe you're, maybe you're just having to go through so much stuff. Like the new year, for some people, can be a, a fresh start. For some, it's just redoing old baggage. Maybe you just feel outnumbered. Maybe you're a mom at home working and you feel like, I've got so many kids, so many things, I'm just totally outnumbered. I have lots of needs just being at home. Maybe you feel out-resourced. I actually have, don't have the financial ability to do this and it frustrates me. It absolutely frustrates me that I do not have the ability to provide. Maybe you need a physical breakthrough. You're tired of being hurt or sick or dealing with illness. Sometimes it's big, like cancer. Maybe you need a relational breakthrough. Sometimes I think sometimes our breakthroughs is just having to deal with family. Because I'm, I'm constant. I have a need. Especially if you have loved ones that are not living for the Lord. Weighing on you every day, just their decisions and where they're going and, and how and when you're just, you got those things on you. You have needs. Maybe just even loneliness. Or maybe even this, we need a breakthrough with God. I want him to speak to me. Whatever it is, recognizing your needs is incredible because Needs are often the way God gets our attention. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain. You see, we often don't change until we're in discomfort. 
We change not because we see the light, but because we feel the heat. How many of you understand that? And yet God is mercifully even using these circumstances, showing your needs so that he would come back to him. That we would call out to the one who actually can give us peace, joy, hope, and love. And what I love about it is the Bible is full of examples of godly people. That's what they did. They called out to God because of their needs. Psalm 72 verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wavering. My soul refuses to be comforted. I'm just going, God, I need you. That's That's David, the psalmist. Because what those needs do is they push us to God and then it shows us opportunities. An example of this would be um, the feeding of the 5,000. What I love about the story is this. Jesus takes them to wilderness. The crowd follows and then he starts ministering to them. So he's setting them up. Jesus is setting up the disciples because the disciples go, wait a second, it's getting late. We need to send these guys home. We have a problem. We have a need. We're going to have starving people. How many of you had lots of people over and you felt that pressure all through Christmas? Yeah, I felt needs, the needs of just trying to feed people. Well, the the disciples could relate. But they only had 5,000 guests, so it's not, you know, maybe it's not as quite as, you know, we have, but. And what Jesus says to me says, well, you do something about it. Well, we only have five loaves and two fish. How on ever earth are we going to do this? What are, you, what are you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> Let me show you. This was an opportunity for God to actually show how good, how amazing he is to the disciples. But guess who sent them there? He started it. He started the need. It was God. May we never fall into the trap of calling out to God as a way of... This, this, this is the thing, though. I, I see the need, but do I call out to God because I'm now saying, God, if I call out to you, I, I will earn it or you'll give it to me. This is the challenge because this approach is praying like religion. And God did not call us to be in religion, but in relationship. So... Notice what Mary does. She's she's not going to approach Jesus and say, hey, there's a problem here. We have a wedding disaster. I'm your mother, could you please? Doesn't do that. Her response is very unique in relationship with Jesus. See, we don't want to try to earn. Prayer is not about earning. Fasting is not about earning. Um, Earning, by definition, is something gained or obtained in return for labor or services. That's the definition. You get something for what you've given. It's the belief that you do something, but the goal is you're going to get. Now, again, avoid this thought, especially when we come into prayer and fasting. What's important? Love God, love people. But if I do this, I get. Nope. Do you know what? Relationship when in terms, when you approach it like that, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I'm going to be really crass, but think of it this way. When you approach relationship like that, I've given you something so I get something in return. In relationship, that's actually prostitution. It's, it's not relationship. And that's actually what in the Old Testament he says, you are acting like a prostitute to his children of Israel. Because in their religion, that's what they thought. If I do this, I get And that's not the purpose within us for prayer or fasting or relationship. And that's not what Mary does. But Mary does something really interesting. Her response, do whatever Jesus says. What a posture of receiving. Her response is this. Jesus says, hey, well, I don't know about this. And he's like, just do what he says. Why is this a posture of relationship? Let me explain. See, when we approach like this religious thing of earning, we go, I pray, and I like go to God like a vending machine, and I go, God, I prayed, ka-ching, thank you. Now, this is interesting. She's doing something else. She goes to God, or goes to Jesus, says, hey, I'm going to pray, and now what do you want me to do? Totally different perspective. I prayed, but I'm also now partnering with you, going, maybe there's something you want me to obey in. 
That's relationship. I'm not just asking for what I get. I want to be with you. I'm going to go, I'm going to believe that when I ask you, you love me and you will give, but I'm not just about what I get. get. I want to be with you in this, so tell me what you want to. That's relationship. Because prayer is relationship. And this, this, this is important because as we go into prayer and fasting this week, I don't want it to be about earning. I never want it to be about earning. I never want to approach this, hey, look, we're doing three weeks of, or two weeks of prayer because look, we're going to get something from God. I know what the get is. Him. And I'm going to ask him, what do you want of me? What do you want to do with me? I love what Mary's setting us up for. It's beautiful. I, I, I'm going to ask you, if you've never prayed and fast, ask the Lord, do you, does he want you to pray and fast? I have a funny feeling I know what his answer is going to be. If I went to my wife and I did this, I said, honey, is there anything you'd like me to get rid of so I can spend some time with you this coming week? What do you think her response was? No, nah, no, nah, that's fine. That's okay. You don't need to... No, no, she was like, oh, <laughs> wow, you, you want to get rid of something so you can spend time with me? She was very practical, though. She said, I don't, I have to realize this is a two-way street. We'd have to both give up time. It's, I can't just do this. You're asking me, but I thought, wow, isn't that neat? God is actually, he's making all the time for us. The challenge is me making the time. And that's what I hope our prayer and fasting does for us. We need God, and we approach him this year not out of earning, but out of our needs. Now, how can, we, how can we make sure discovering what is important is through relationship rather religion? And this is the last part, and I can, I can kind of breeze through this a little quickly. You see, Jesus does something in this miracle of, uh, of the, at the wedding. He uses a religious practice to bring transformation. So what, again, I don't want you to miss this. This is very significant because it's a sign. It was Jesus showing what he does and what he wants to do in us, his mission, his plan. He takes, he says, okay, you servants, go to the ceremonial jars. These are for the Jewish rites for purification. He was using religious practices. How many of you know that religious practices are not wrong? Praying is not wrong. Worshiping God is not wrong. Uh, Doing things that have tradition or whatever is not wrong. See, Jesus doesn't discard those ceremonial jars. He actually says, I'm going to use this purpose. Now, what were these jars? This is interesting. The jars, the six stone jars, they're about two and a half feet tall. They weighed about two tons. Now, the, just, the stone jars are used to hold what's called, would be holy water. And it's used symbolically. Every Jew, they wash their hands in it. Uh, and it was to cleanse themselves from sin. It was to make themselves clean. But they did it before they went in a house. So everywhere they went into someone's house, they wanted to be clean. My, mom, my, my wife would love that. Anyway. They would wash before they ate. This is why it was interesting when, G, when the, this, the Pharisees saw the disciples saying, why do they not do this? This is so important. This is a part of what we do traditionally. And they were shocked when they didn't see Jesus or his, or his disciples washing their hands. But this is what Jesus is saying. No amount of holy water can purify you to make you presentable before God. I've actually come to replace the water to the wine of my blood that will cleanse you permanently from sin. I'm going to do something in this jar that we call a religious practice and I'm going to change it and transform it. I want to bring you actually not to just doing church, but actually into something that's life-giving. It doesn't just try to clean you up. It actually is something that goes in you, brings you life, and is actually drinkable. Did you know no good Jew would ever drink that cleansing water? I was like, you just do not. That's for people's dirty hands. Why would you ever? You cannot drink that. That is detestable. And Jesus goes, maybe in your circles that's, that's what you do, but when I enter the scene, now it's something that gives life. You can drink it, it quenches your thirst. 
A religious water can never quench the thirst of a hungry soul. So this is why it's important. We could be praying and fasting, but if it comes out of a religious posture, it will never quench a dying or thirsty soul. Religion in that sense does not do that for us. And we can't approach something like that. Jesus goes, I actually want to change it. I want to transform it to something that is so... It's like Jesus holding up a sign going, aha, living water right here. And it's the very first miracle. I'm going to do something crazy in you. I'm going to take your religious practice and transform it. How many of you would love that not just meeting and praying and fasting, because that's what we do every year, to something that becomes life-giving, transforming, like you met with Jesus and whoa, is it? in fact, it was a party. I, I heard that's what they do with wine. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not advocating any of that. I'm not saying that, but. Jesus didn't come to abolish the need for ceremonial washing. He didn't do any of that. In fact, he says, you know, you, if we are living the light as he is in light, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. The person of Jesus actually wants to quench the deepest human thirst. That's the point. But it's allowing transformation. Allowing it. See, he takes this inconsumable substance into a consumable liquid that is a symbol of a celebration of life. We actually did it today. And imagine that, that God is saying, I want to do a radical transformation even in our religious practices. You know that this first miracle is the greatest miracle that Jesus did of all of the miracles. And I'll tell you why. All the other miracles that Jesus does, of all of them listed, a lot of it he has the same materials. He takes Lazarus who's dead and he calls him to life. Yes, but Lazarus was still Lazarus. He still had him, maybe, you know, whether it was spirit, stuff like that. When someone was healing, he healed them, but they were still there. This, he literally takes nothing and makes it into something. He transforms something. You know what? For us, it is impossible to make water into wine. There is a, there's a process you have to do. You have to crush the grapes. You have to ferment it. We have to do something. But in Christ, he does not. He is now explaining and describing his incredible creative power like he did in day one. I spoke and it created. I'm speaking into you and I'm creating if you will hear and just do what he says. Ah, that's relationship. Not religion, relationship. Because this is the point of creation. He was making things new. Did you know God wants to make new things in you and me? First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any was in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And I want to just add something to you about this thought. If you understand those six jars, there were 20 to 30 gallons in each jar, which means there's about 120 to 180 gallons of wine. Now, just to give you an example or thought of that, that would fill 2,000 four-ounce glasses full. Why so much wine? Why is it like... Not only is it just changing, transforming, but it's a lot. It's a little excessive, don't you think? Unless it's a symbol. How many of you just think God just wants to give you a little bit of him, but he actually has a lot more than you can imagine or, or, or could ever explain? And this is the scary part about us with our relationship with God. God has so much more for us, but we only have as much as we want. You see, I think a lot of times I have as much of the relationship with Jesus as I want. Did you know that going to church, serving, doing these things, we appreciate it, but does that, that doesn't necessarily mean I can do these things and look really good. It's a religious thing. It's a practice. But you could actually have no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. It goes ditto for a pastor. 
He can get up every, more, every day, preach, do those things, and yet himself go, but I, I lost my first lover. I need that relationship. God, I need you to transform me and make it so that it's not just something, but it's overflowing and, and it's abundant. It's there and available all the time. So I'm going to just jump to this last part. If you can jump for this, um, Ben, next part. Because I want to make it some practical. This is all about how can we make sure we discover what is important through relationship rather than religion? How can we do this? We want to know what's important. We're going to pray into that. We're going to be two weeks, two, two weeks of, or two months of talking about it. We need to approach from needing, not earning, and use our religious practice to allow Jesus' transformation using this thing like prayer summits. But here's some thoughts that I want to leave you with. Practical. Some practical steps are this. Just... One, again, recognize the needs. Maybe this week you need to just ask God, what are my needs? What are the needs around? Write it out. Because we need to be aware of them. As we, we go into this prayer and fasting, take time. You know what your greatest love is being loved and known by God? That's your first. You can write that down. It's free. The second one is take some time intentionally. You know what? You cannot develop relationships unless using your spare time. And so there has to be some intentionality. I love it. Even just you getting up and saying, Lord, I love you and I want to get to know you today. If you do that every day, you're successful. God's promise is this. In Jeremiah 29, verse 13, you'll find him when you seek him with all your heart. And And the last one is, is, this third question practically is, ask what religious practice does God want to transform in you? To do that, you really need to slow down and be quiet. God said in Psalm 46, it says, Be still and know that I'm God. The, scary, the thing why we do prayer and fasting is we actually shut down a lot of activity. The pastors, we, we just say, we're not doing a whole lot of stuff because what I find is it's so hard sometimes to hear God when you're busy. And the one thing you can do is sit carving some time where I'm going to stop, be still, and know you know what's beautiful is when you just, something happens where I'm like, I'm just going to get away and just go to the church and pray. Or hey, you know, I'm going to gather some other people and pray. When you do that, God always will meet you. In fact, uh, I want to close with this last little thought. A pastor friend of mine was sharing about um, how he was doing a wedding, and it was probably the most significant wedding. Because I want you to get this apart of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus, and what a privilege we have. A friend was doing this wedding, and he said, you know, he had this lady, her name was Jean, Jean Palfrey, and Jean, um, she actually had a really hard life, like lots of challenges. Just things after things after things, and... I don't want to get into it, but it was, she just had a really troubled life. It was a lot of stuff. But the weird thing with Jean, because she knew Jesus, she, always had, she was joyful. She had joy even in trialing. But what happened is one day is a guy came up to her and, a, and proposed to her. She kinda, he kind of was, like, was pursuing her and, and, and said, I'd like to get in a relationship with you. Now, the interesting thing is for the eight months that while this was happening, where this wedding, suddenly... Jean is, or Jean is now absolutely on cloud nine. She is even more overjoyed because she's sitting there going, I can't believe, and in fact, the, the, the guy was doing the marriage counseling. He said this, he sat down with them and she turned to her, to, her, to her fiance and said, really, are you sure you want to do this? I mean, look at me, look at me. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty old. Like I've got all these wrinkles. You really want to get married to me? And he goes, yeah, I don't see wrinkles. I see dimples. You're beautiful. You don't understand, I have a daughter and she's got, and there's lots of responsibility. And in fact, her, her, his, her daughter, uh, was, her, her name's April, or April, and April was 26 years old. But because she had mental, she had mental disability, she was like, more like a six-year-old. Are you sure you want to get married? Because I have this daughter and she's a lot of work. And he goes, yes, I want to marry you. I want to be with you. 
And so they did this. They did this wedding. It was beautiful. This ceremony where it was absolutely perfect. They came down. It was glorious as they're doing their vows and exchanging the rings. But this is what was the capper of the whole ceremony. Is after they did the wedding vows and the rings, suddenly the man, um, Ken, looks to, and he said and to, the, to the pastor, and he, and he winked, and the pastor said, okay, now I want you to know something that, Ken wanted to do something very significant. Not only was he taking on Jean to be his wife, but he actually, he also has a ring to give to April. Because he chooses you. April, whose mind of a six-year-old, suddenly from the front of the thing, jumped up going, she ran towards him, grabbed Ken and just said, you love me, you love me, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you. You you want to marry me too? You want me to be in your life? Not a dry eye was in that wedding. Pastor himself, he's like, until he stopped and then he said, you know what, this is the best picture for us as Christians. The God of this universe, he calls us his bride. He chooses us, not, and we think of our history. We think of all the stuff. Why would you pick me? I got wrinkles. And he goes, I see dimples. I see a beauty in you that you have no idea. Really, you choose me. But now this is the crazy part and the most fantastic. Not only do I choose you as a husband, I'm going to be a father to the fatherless. And I'm going to choose you because we were all like April. We are all. And he says, I want to be your dad too. That's what he's partnering with us. That's relationship. That's what he wants to give to us. Even as we approach this time of prayer and fasting. I confess, I want to meet Jesus in January. I just need him. I kind of feel sometimes tired. I, I recognize our needs. Maybe you're with me that. And I... I don't want to do it out of a religious practice. I want to do it in a relationship. I want to do it together with a family that we're pressing in because we see our needs, but not out of earning, not out of somehow, but this thing that God actually chooses and wants to be in relationship with you and I.